to their Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is God's word. Lord, this morning, uh, during this Advent season, we ask that you would instill in us, breathe in us, teach us what hope looks like, um, and to hope in the right things, to turn away from false hopes and hopes that um, can never satisfy. We pray that you would in your son, answer the longing of our hearts, that uh, you would meet us in our greatest need. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so the, the first week of Advent is a story of, of hope, story of hope. And um, we're always placing our hope in something, aren't we? Always in something. For example, I, I really hope Despite all odds, it seems, uh, at this time of the year especially, that the Rams are going to make it to the Super Bowl again, um, even though it's not looking very good for them. But I hope it'll happen. Um, you know, just like uh, some might hope it doesn't rain on your wedding day, or this is me every year, I hope I don't get sick for my birthday. My birthday's in November, so I'm pretty much always going to be sick. It's just happens. Um, but I, or I hope, right, I get my Christmas bonus uh, that I get every year, uh, maybe from your company, or, or I hope that I'll get a, a raise this year, or I, or I hope uh, we'll get to um, go on vacation, or I, I hope, right, we have, we use this in our everyday speech. It's a part of our everyday vocabulary because I think we were made for hope. Um, children, what are your hopes? or third through fifth graders, what are your hopes, right? What do, you, what do you hope will be sitting under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning, right? What do you hope to see? Um, God's wired us to live in such a way that we hope and that that hope would drive us closer to, to God. Um, of course, we tend to place our hopes in all the wrong things, right? We look in the wrong places, and often our hopes drive us into despair because our hopes are dashed to pieces. 
hope does not live up to the hype. And so hope will never be found if we're looking around us or within us. Um, if you look to the Christmas season or, or your birthday for hope, what happens when that season changes? Hope dissipates, right? Hope is lost. You lose hope. Or if you hope in the toy that you got for Christmas, what happens when that toy, which was made of plastic probably, you know, what happens when that toy breaks? Hope is lost. What happens if you look to yourself for hope? And what happens when something goes wrong? Maybe the job doesn't turn out to be what it was promised to be, or your health is failing, or you don't get straight A's, you're not at the top of your class, right? Hope fails. And so hope can't be found by looking at what's right in front of us uh, or even just around us, but Advent reminds us, the season reminds us that hope can be found as we're looking in the future, ahead, right, to the promises of God. And so to find this hope, Isaiah, a prophet, um, casts a vision of hope. And so I want us to think about that this morning, what this vision is, what it looks like. And he calls us to walk in hope. So let's think about this first thing. What kind of vision does he cast, this vision of hope? Of course, it's a beautiful vision of the future. He casts this vision. Do you see what I see? Singing's back. Yay. (laughs) Do you hear what I hear? Yeah, I'm not singing that. Um, This vision from the prophet Isaiah, right, is not uh, a word that you hear. It's on a word that you see. Um, He literally sees all that is coming to pass in the future. And so I'll just read this again, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw, saw, right? Not heard, saw. It's a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days, latter days, that the mount, the mountain of the house of the Lord, shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. What a picture. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that, he may, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord shall come from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so this vision, it it paints this sort of an idealized situation for Jerusalem, for God's people in the last days. Uh, The last days is is a phrase that you see all across the prophets, and it's referring to the last days, right? The 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 day of the Lord, when the Lord will come. Um, when the Messiah comes and he initiates, he inaugurates his kingdom. And th- this picture is of God himself showing up and, and God teaching the nations and God himself judging justly and ruling rightly. And Isaiah, Isaiah he, as a prophet, he, he promises that this is what's going to happen. He says this will happen in the future. But it's not without struggle. Uh, In the first chapter of Isaiah, Israel, as God's people, they're guilty of several wicked things. They're guilty of murder. They're guilty of rebellion. They're guilty of corruption and injustice. 
And if we kept going on and we read to verse 6, we'd soon see that Israel continues to walk in their own ways and not following God's way. Um, it's kind of a tragic story of Israel. Do we find it odd that judgment and salvation are so interwoven together? Do we find that strange at all? Um, they're not opposites. In fact, judgment serves the latter. So judgment serves the promises of God, salvation. Jerusalem will one day be changed. She'll be holy. She'll be attractive to the nations, but only after she goes through a period, a trial of refinement, of struggle. And that makes sense, I think, as we're reading through right, all the pages of Israel and their story, of their struggle. It makes sense of, 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 of their history. It also, I think, makes sense of what Peter says. Um, we just went through First Peter together, but uh, Peter says in, in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, for the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And that, that means for, for us, right, for you and me. Um, if you want to find true hope that only God can give, then you need to first confess that you're a sinner. Humbly admit that you have failed to do all that God has asked you to do. Um, as, as Pastor Adam was praying, humbly admit that every day that our heart wanders away, right? Wanders away from God. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And each day we find ways to rebel against him. And we have to confess that. It's the beginning of the Christian life. It is also very much a part of every day of the Christian life, of confessing our sins before God. And so can we admit that we have no ability whatsoever to do what is right and what is good and what is true? Or do we just think that we mess up occasionally? We just do some bad things sometimes, right? Do you see that you have a condition that you can't change on your own, that you're by nature sinful? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, I love how he puts this. He says, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. Love that description. Part of this message sounds really hopeless. We're talking about hope. Advent's a season of hope. And now this sounds really hopeless. And I think it would be were it not for God sending his son Jesus in this season, this long-expected Jesus, into the world to save sinners like you and like me. And so the Advent story, right, it tells us that we are unable and we're unwilling, but God is able and willing. The Advent message declares that we must be disarmed by God, right? We don't even lay down our arms. He lays them down for us. He's taking away our swords and our weapons, our spears, and he's turning them into plowshares and pruning hooks, farmers' tools. Christianity takes all the emphasis off of us, right, off of what our hands are doing off of what we're doing, and places them into the hands of God, what he has done in his son Jesus. And when we give up finding and, and locating our hope in everything except for God, right, we find the one who offers us true hope that will never lead us to despair. That does not mean it's going to be easy, ever. Um, I want to think about the promises that Isaiah lays out in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 
Right, the mountain of the Lord is going to be the highest of all mountains. Mount Zion is not very large, right? It's not Mount Everest. Right? It's not that tall in terms of elevation. Um, so how can that be true? And so far to date, the, nev- the nations have never really flocked to Jerusalem to be taught. So that one obviously isn't true either. And as far as I know, we still have military defense systems and I mean, that's probably a good thing, right? Because there, there's no uh, uh, laying down of arms right now in terms of warfare. So all that to say, right, all of these seem like they're, they're things in the category of hope, right? It's still coming. It's a promise to still be finally realized. It has not happened yet. And we can say the same for the Advent season. Right, we believe that Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back. And our faith will turn into sight, but that's still in the realm of hope and promise. It hasn't happened yet. Like these promises, Christ's second coming and everything that comes with it, right? the end of death itself, the death of death, Satan and his minions being destroyed, the body raised to new life. Right? All of these things are promises that seem so far away, so out of reach, they seem like they're never going to happen. Right? Black Friday and Cyber Monday seem like way more important things on our minds. Right? I mean, that's probably what we're thinking. What Amazon deal can I get tomorrow? Um, that's, that's, what we're, that's what bothers us and bugs our thoughts. Not necessarily these things that we're reading about. God's promises to us in Christ contradict what we see around us. But the vision of hope remains, right? Uh, let's finish looking at the specific things this vision men- mentions. Uh, three main th- themes emerge. First, there's this talk of the nations, many peoples, the nations coming to the house of God. Um, I've never actually been, but uh, uh, rumor has it that the, across from the, the UN building, United Nations building, there is a wall, and on that wall is actually Isaiah 2 um, scribbled out on the wall, which is pretty interesting. But uh, the second thing we see, there's instruction. Uh, Verse 3 tells us why these nations, why are they all coming? Why are they flocking to hear and learn from God? Uh, They're not coming to celebrate. They're not coming to bring and bear gifts. uh, But they're coming to hear instruction, right? They say that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. Teach and walk. Uh, Notice how theoretical knowledge... And practical knowledge are so intertwined here, right? There's no separation of head knowledge and heart knowledge, right? Hands are what you're thinking. Um, what, you, what you believe, what you say you believe, and what you do are, are wed together. Thinking and doing. Uh, and, and then third, there's, there's a vision of ultimate peace. Um, verse 4. It's a famous verse. You probably heard it before, other than when I read it and when we heard it in the scripture reading. Um, but, but swords and spears, right, they will be beaten into plowshares and pruning hooks. Such a uh, wonderful little vision there. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. It's a beautiful vision of a future where, where people are not going to be arguing and fighting and warring anymore. Uh, people are going to be at peace with one another. Weapons that were once used for death will be turned into tools that give and maintain and nourish life. Uh, It's a great picture. 
Clearly, it's a future that God has to bring about, though. Um, but it's not far out into the future. Uh, verse 5, it, it changes key. I want to draw attention to this now, because so far we might have gotten off the hook. Right? We might have gotten away with hearing an inspiring and amazing sermon from Isaiah um, without requiring any change. Right? We, we could imagine the people of Israel walking away at this point and saying, Isaiah, you really knocked it out of the park. I really loved that sermon. That was great. You know, what a vivid picture of the future that you painted. Love the future. Can't wait for it. All right, back to Cyber Monday. Right? But he changes key. He says, he calls us not just to see hope, right? Not just to see this vision, but to participate, to walk in hope every day. And so he calls us to walk in hope. It's an urgent call for the present. He says this, verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is a direct address, right? O house of Jacob, that is Israel. It would be like me saying, hey, Redemption Church, right? Direct address, like, not, not mincing words here. I'm talking to you, you know, very, very specific. And then our, our translation uh, doesn't quite show it, but the, the word for come that we see, O house of Israel, uh, of Jacob, come, it's the same verb, walk, that he uses right after that. So it, it, it reads, double emphasis, O house of Jacob, walk, let us walk in the house of the, in the, house of the Lord, er, in the light of the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me. Right, it's not a, a, a hopeful vision cast out just in the future. It's not just theoretical. It's made very practical. It's we need to walk, right? We cannot just talk the talk, but we have to walk the walk. Cheesy way to remember it, but hey, it works. Walk the walk. Verse 3, address the nations. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Now verse 5 addresses Israel. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Think of how insane this is, how crazy this is. The nations are now role models for Israel in coming to the Lord. They're the examples to follow. They, the nations, are pictured as flocking to God, hearing his instruction, wanting to walk in his ways. Israel's now challenged to do what they do, right? Follow the nations, leave, move towards God. Uh, what's interesting about this is Israel had been following the nations. That's why they were so far from God initially, right? They were murdering, they were uh, stealing, they were corrupt, they were unjust, all because they had followed the nation's leads. And now Isaiah's using their idolatry against them, flipping it on its head and saying, you want to follow the nations? Well, guess what? Eventually the nations are going to be coming to God, so follow the nations, right? Return to the Lord. It's pretty amazing what he does here. Advent's a season of hope, of expectation, of waiting, but it's also a season of, of repentance, of self-examination. We're reminded that we can't reach the promise without first undergoing judgment, trial, or struggle. Like Israel, you know, we are called to wake up this morning in this season of Advent. This beautiful vision of, of peace that God is going to do in the future, well, we're, we're called to start living that in the present. If you really believe that you have peace with God, then 
Will you strive for peace with your brothers and your sisters and your neighbors around you in the daily life, during the daily grind? Jesus put it this way. He said in his Sermon on the Mount, interesting, right? Another mountain. Blessed are the peacemakers. We don't find swords to plowshares uh, written anywhere in the New Testament, but we see this language of, of becoming a peacemaker, right? that call to practice peace. And at the end of Matthew, in chapter 28, again on another mountaintop, he tells them to, verse 19, Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them all that I commanded you. For lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. And the, the theme of Isaiah's all nations, right? We're, we're seeing that come to fruition. All nations are hearing the gospel. And then the second thing Isaiah pointed out, instruction. Jesus taught on the Sermon of, of the Mount. He was instructing his disciples. That was the beginning of that promise. And the third thing Isaiah spoke of, about a time coming of ultimate peace, where war will come to an end. It's the kind of kingdom ethic that Jesus had in mind for his disciples. He calls them, he's calling us to be peacemakers. To take our spears and our daggers and our blades and to beat them into pruning hooks. Not weapons of war, but weapons of uh, peace. We're in the last days now. Jesus' kingdom has come. So walk, walk in the light of the Lord. Of course, we can't bring this kingdom ourselves. I'm not at all imposing that on any of us, saying, please, let's just bring God's kingdom right now by us being peacemakers, right? Um, It's, of course, God's business. But we can practice peacemaking now with our families, our friends, our church, our neighbors, our workplaces, because we've been given, given a ministry of reconciliation. That's how Paul, Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What could be more attractive to outsiders, to people who have never been to church, than a church that doesn't just preach about the forgiveness of sins, but actually practices the forgiveness of sins amongst each other? A number of years ago in Hollywood... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, paid tribute to his friend Mel Gibson. And it was an incredible moment. And he asked for forgiveness. He really pled for forgiveness on his behalf. And I want to read Downey's words. Downey Jr. said, When I couldn't get sober, he, that's Mel Gibson, he told me not to give up hope. And he urged me to find my faith. It didn't have to be his faith or anyone else's as long as it was rooted in, in, for, rooted in forgiveness. Okay, I disagree with that part, but just shh. let's just keep going. Don't get distracted. And I couldn't get hired, so he cast me as the lead in a movie that was actually developed for him. He kept a roof over my head, and he kept food on the table. And most importantly, he said, if I accepted responsibility for my wrongdoings, and if I embraced that part of my soul that was ugly... Hugging the cactus, he calls it. He said that if I hugged the cactus long enough, I'd become a man of some humility and that my life would take on a new meaning. And I did, and it worked. All he asked in return was that someday I help the next guy in some small way. 
Now, it's reasonable to assume that at the time he didn't imagine that the next guy would be him or that someday would be now, tonight. So anyway, on this special occasion, I humbly ask that you would join me, unless you're completely without sin, in which case you picked the wrong industry, in forgiving my friend his trespasses, offering him the same clean slate you, you gave me, and allowing him to continue his great and ongoing contribution to our collective art without shame. Wow, right? Hollywood, practicing forgiveness on public display like that. Maybe we found churches and Christians can be mean sometimes and they've never, you've never experienced that kind of forgiveness. If that's the case, may we all learn from the nations, right? From Hollywood and on this point here. May we learn from the nations and walk in the light of the Lord again, offering forgiveness to those who need it. Why? Because hope is not a something, right? Hope is a someone. Hope has arrived in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this message of Advent declares that Jesus has hugged the cactus for you. He has done that. He's embraced your ugly by being sent to die on a cross for you. And so your shame is taken away. You're given something better than a clean slate. So do you see what God sees? Do you see yourself as God has found you in Christ and as he sees you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son Jesus has taken our blame and our shame and has given us the name of of being sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you for your gospel message. We thank you for the hope that we have by trusting and believing in your son Jesus, whom you've provided. We pray that we would turn away from the false hopes that never bring us peace and turn to the one who gives us peace, who fills us in the best ways with true hope. In Jesus' name, amen.